at this point, you've probably heard the term being slung around, which is the toxic masculinity. The idea of that comes from not having a clarity between having a strong man versus an oppressive man. That's my colleague, Armando Cruz. His top-selling book, The Legacy Code, seeks to answer an age-old question about men. What are they doing with all their power? One is you can be strong and uplift others. The other one is you are strongest because you're holding everyone else down. In my first interview of this season, Armando and I delve into his fascinating research behind male legacy and how his amazing findings can help shape a healthier masculine world today. This is the Super Givers Podcast. All right, Armando. Well, thanks for being willing to join me today. It's awesome to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind well, maybe introducing yourself to the listeners and a little bit about what you're, what you're up to in the world these days. Sure. My name is Armando. Uh, let's see. Where do I start? I am a husband, father, uh, entrepreneur. I like to say I'm an adventurer and probably most of all a connoisseur of experiences. And so... Um, that really dictates a lot of the way I view the world. Um, and part of the experiences I like to have is an experience of service. And so I do that in different capacities. My wife and I have a fitness and physical therapy studio in Miami, Florida. And I also work with uh, married men that are entrepreneurs to help them show up more powerfully in their health and their business and their relationships and create a legacy that inspires them. Awesome. And you've written a book recently called The Legacy Code. I wonder if you could, yeah, kind of like let us know how that fits into your mission. So the the Legacy Code was born out of the past four years of working with 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 these men and realizing that you know, when you are married, when you have kids, what I found, in fact, writing the book, I interviewed 111 men. And one of the questions I asked is, do you think about legacy? And what was interesting was that the two people that thought about legacy most were uh, men with children and men who had um, like a like a deep faith. They were Christian. Most of them ended up being Christian. There was like one Jewish guy that I interviewed, but also there was that concept of something greater than themselves that lives on. So I found that those two people tended to think about legacy a bit more versus single guys that had no kids and were not, uh, let's just say, religious. So... The, um, you know, over the past four years, I, I realized in working with these men that there's this deep yearning to create something greater and leave something greater. And uh, it's based off a lot of the work that we did there and helping them get clear on how to purposely and powerfully create their legacy, not wait till the end and say, oh, this is what I did, but actually set forth in motion what it is that they want to create. For the people that matter most, and for for our for our community at large. So I'm assuming 
because this is such a big piece of your work that that you've really uh, had the concept of legacy close to your heart. How how has that come about? And maybe you could speak a little about that about that personally. So I feel very very blessed because I have I still have right because my father's still alive a great relationship with my father. Um, I pretty much call him every day or most days. I definitely call him every week. And um, growing up, I had this, this realization that when I grow up, I want to do things very similar to the way my father did them. You see, my father had his own construction company, and I quickly started realizing all the time and the freedom he had to spend with me. Like he was at all my games, he would come to the practices. My dad is an athlete and remains so, so he was in like in ridiculous shape that he would, he could outdo any one of us in high school for sure and mm. middle school for sure. Um, college, he even was part of the whole college scene as well for me because I ran in college. And while he wasn't as fast, he could outwork pretty much all, let's say, the, all the kids. And so I realized that I wanted to create those kind of experiences with my, with my kids because I also made the realization that I do want kids. I do want to be married, right? And that's not for everyone. Not everybody wants that. But because I wanted to have kids and I wanted to, to, to get married, I also wanted to create the best marriage and the best opportunity for my kids. And I really resonated with what my father was doing so that I felt like, you know, this was part of what he was giving to me. It was very much always by actions, first, words, second. And it wasn't that my dad was a man of few words because it didn't matter what we did. We were always talking about things and he was always teaching me things. And even still today, like every time I talk to him, we start a conversation and there's always kind of the nuggets of wisdom or at least a, a, a different perspective that if I'm heading one way, he's going to bring out a flag and say, okay, wait, you know, have you thought about this? You know, yeah. what if you looked at it like this? And to me, that's very valuable. And, you know, it's where legacy came from for me, where it became important. Yeah, it sounds like part of his legacy for you was leading by example and right. specifically the example of hard work and focus and like really taking your pursuits um, seriously and honorably. Is that fair to say? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> it's kind of really meta. Like his, <laughs> his work around his own life became legacy that led you to be interested in studying and living legacy. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And, and it was, you know, one of the men that I, that I, that I interviewed was him. Hmm. And what was actually one, one thing that, that really kind of shocked me was one of the questions that I asked was, you know, where do you wish, where do you wish you had spent more time or what do you wish you would have gotten like been better at? And he said, spending more time with the family. Now, from the outside, people are like, wow, you spend so much, like, like looking at him and the way he operated, 
It's like, wow, he spent a lot of time with his kids and did a lot of times with his kids and his wife. And, you know, um, but for him, it wasn't enough. Right. So it's important to put things in context for you. And for him, he was like, well, I did a lot of things with them. But if I have to go back and really weigh out the things that are most important in life. Yeah, there were still times that I didn't that I probably could have. And if I could go back and if I could be aware at that moment, I would make that decision to spend more time with the family. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Has, how has this impacted your relationship with him studying this for yourself? I've grown to appreciate it more and I've realized I've, first of all, I've realized the the blessing that I had in my life, right? So to me, obviously, you know, your life is the normal for you. And for me, I had the, I have great parents. They're still married. I, they're still alive. I talk to them and see them pretty much at least every week. It, it was a close thing. I ha- I'm the oldest of four of four siblings and we keep in contact. So we had a really close knit family, one that really valued family and community. And I realized in, as I went deeper into this legacy and interviewing people and connecting with people, that isn't something that's normal. In fact, unfortunately nowadays, that's not even close to normal. And so it made me, first of all, take a step back and feel grateful that I had that experience. And then second, where can I draw strength to, to bring more clarity when other people need it as well? And so uh, that experience really, I've found, has made me a better person, definitely a better husband and father and um a better coach because of of context right and for a long time i actually saw it as a as a crutch or as something that was like a hindrance because you know when you study successful people one of the many common traits is this idea of struggle and i didn't have to struggle growing up My parents weren't rich, but they were middle class. We went on our vacations once or twice a year. You know, we went to private school. You know, we did we we did what the middle class did. But it was one of those things that for me, I often felt like when I hear these stories of these redemption stories and all these people with really rough lives, and then they came out and be successful. I'm like. Who wants to hear about me and that I had a good life? And I realized it's not about a good life or a bad life, but more what do you draw from it and how do you live your life? Hmm. And that's going back to the action again. Do you live it? I love that. I want to come back to that. First, I want to go back to what you said a minute ago about the norms. And I'm wondering if you can speak to some of the, the, norm, the norms that you found around legacy. Um, can you ask it in a different yeah. way? Yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah. sure I, I understand. Yeah, I think what I interpreted was you were maybe even surprised to find or taken aback that 
um, your experience was not necessarily the, the norm and that perhaps perhaps the the living consciously around legacy was was different than your experience in some of your ah. findings you, you you said the word norms and you said it was it was not the norm and I started to get curious like what did you find what is the like how are people doing this these days where is it in the in the culture right Okay, so uh, thank you, thank you for for rephrasing it because I, I get a better context of what it is you're asking there. Um, so, uh, and and the context for this is not only kind of the men that I was working with, but uh, the 111 men that I interviewed. Um, you know, I started when I started diving into this. What I quickly realized is that as men started getting older, and they started sharing some of these things that, again, weren't apparent to them as they were younger. So they now, because they had more experience and uh, more life life lessons to be learned, they realized, hey, there is something better than what I had. And it's not this desire that nothing is good enough, but more that I am capable of more. There's something more inside of me that I wasn't aware of, but the problem is I don't know how to achieve it or find it. And that, that was actually one of the biggest things is this idea that you're finding something. There's something out there that I got to find that I haven't quite figured it out. And so this idea of legacy was it's more for it's like a quest to find something out there. When in, re- when in reality, what I found that the people that tend to embody this idea of legacy in a way that inspires and connects to the people that matter most and then forms a second ring around to the community at large and creates that impact was that those people searched in mm. instead of out. Mm. And so there is that disconnect of or, or perhaps the misinformation of thinking that the answer is out when in reality you got to go in for it. In other words, peel back the layers instead of adding layers to feel like you're worthy. Hmm. Do, do you get the distinction? Do you, oh, yeah. you, you understand what I mean? Okay. Yeah, it actually, it's it's powerful enough that it, I'm trying to decide there's a few different directions I'd want to go with that. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that I have written down that I really want to ask you about, maybe you can speak to if it just comes naturally is, is why legacy is, seems to be a really um, male associated value. And how do you think men in general are doing in terms of understanding this notion of going within and peeling back the layers? Okay. So the, the first, let me, let me, yeah. the one question was that, how, how do, how are men faring at this idea of peeling back layers? And the one prior to that you had asked, you know, is like, why do you think this is a male kind of dominant thing? This idea of legacy. Yeah. And the distinction that I want or, or the context I want to frame this in is that I only interviewed males because I wrote this for a man. I wrote this book for men. What's interesting, though, is I've had about a, uh, I'm making a generalization here, 
about an equal, equal amount of women that have read it. And one of their comments is like, but this is not for men only. Like what you're saying here, women, women can benefit from it. Mm. And the, 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 the explanation that I gave is the following is first and foremost, I was speaking to me, right? It was a reminder to myself. It was a process that I had to go through mentally to write this book, to be able to share this. So first and foremost, I had to, 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 to internalize this. So I spoke to myself, right? Um, and so the other component of that is, and what I've found is that women can extract much better this information than men. In other words, there's a, there's a saying that says that women underestimate what they're capable of and men tend to overestimate. Um, on the flip side of that, because there is that underestimation, and again, this is a generalization, this, there, there are always women that are just as overestimated and so forth, but what the point of that is, is that I felt like if I didn't directly address men, it would be easier for them to dismiss it. Uh, he's not talking about me. I got this figured out. Mm -hmm. But if I'm specifically saying, hey, men, then they're like, okay, wait, I'm a man. He's talking to me. Either I listen and reject or I listen and accept. But at least at the very least, I know that he's talking to me. So that was the context. So I... If I had to say, do men think about legacy more than women, I would say they think about it quite differently and maybe not use the same terms. There is something to be said for um, tribes and leadership and just social structures that, yes, men tended to be at the top of the social structure, so, uh, like at the, the hierarchy there, where it's kind of like, hey, you know, I have to make sure that my my genes pass on. There's a survival. There is a kind of, hey, I need to pass on to the next generation. Um, what I've found in other conversations with women, the tendency tends to be less of, hey, it, it has to be that, you know, my 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 genes live on, but nurturing what I have in front of me. So my kids become the most important legacy that I have, not 10 not, not 10 generations later. And again, I am making a generalization mm -hmm. based off conversations that I have had, but I, I, I would definitely not say that men think about this more than women. They just think about it differently. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And your disclaimer is, is noted. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, the second question was what again? I jumped, I blanked. Well, I guess, uh, I guess I'm curious to know in your breadth of experience with this, how do you think um, men are faring in their oh, quest for legacy? Right, right. And, and again, tying it back, you, you had asked in this, this idea of how are they faring, especially peeling back the layers as opposed to going out on a quest. What's fascinating to me and which would make sense is that the men willing to have the conversations are the ones ready to peel back the layers. The ones that really aren't, 
very often are not ready. Hence, we're not having those conversations. Um, those conversations either don't appeal to them or they don't resonate with it. It's I, I, I haven't met like just that face value of that conversation hasn't met them where they are in their journey. I'd have to go. I'd have to go kind of more primal before I can go more internal, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're, um, you're working with a self-selected population. Right. Yeah. The people who are going to resonate with what I'm saying are people who are thinking about it. So hence, they're, it's not that they figured it out, but they're receptive to the process. Right. Um, maybe not always enjoying it because you often are faced with things that you, you, you have to address head on or they're going to keep festering. Hmm. Uh, versus if the enemy or the goal is always on the outside, you are always chasing, but they're never necessarily there. Now, if you're going inside, you know that what you're chasing or the enemy or the challenge is staring you at the face and it's not going anywhere until you either make a truce, destroy it, or, uh, you know, accept it. Just especially for the listener's sake, um, can you give a concrete example of what might be an inner quest for a man who's really interested in this path? Let's, let's take this idea of success. Okay. Um, success, first of all, has to be self-defined. And I think one of the things if, you know, as people are, as, as, as the audience is listening, what I, what I challenge you to do for a second is start becoming a steward of your words. Understand what you mean by what you say and know that what you say is not what you think you're saying. Hmm. <laughs> and I know that sounds a little weird, but we attribute different definitions to different words. And so when somebody says success, if I were to say, Jesse, you know, are you successful? You have a, a definition of success that perhaps is different than mine. And so if we're not playing on the same field, if we don't know this, the correct terms, then we don't know how we're actually progressing in this process. So if I tell you, uh, instead of saying, you know, are you successful? I would say, how would you define success so that I can better position the next statement to really find out what path you need to go down? Because if I say, oh, are you successful? And again, many of the men that I work with tend to be in leadership positions, CEOs, COOs, um, they own their own business. So they're used to being the guy in the top. They're used to making money. Most of them making money is not difficult. So that's very often the thing that comes to mind because our society values that and says, oh, did you make money? Do you make a lot of money? Then you must be successful. Do you have a nice house? You must be successful. Do you have a nice car? You must be successful. Do you have multiple houses? Right? These are all things that society has placed a lot of value. And so very often people think that that is the definition. 
but I'd encourage and challenge to really define how would you define success first and foremost? And that, that, that distinction right there, just asking that one question is the difference between chasing a quest for what society says, this is what you must have if you are to be successful versus you now peeling back the layers and saying, wait, society may say this, but success means this to me. It means, you know what, being there to pick up my, my kids from school and being okay with that, shutting down the day after, you know, two o'clock and being there to pick the kids up and then spending the rest of the day with them. That's more, that may be more of an alignment with your definition of success than making an extra million dollars because you stayed till eight o'clock at night. The, you understand, do you see the, the, the distinction between the in and the out and just that one question? Yeah. And what I'm curious about is, and help me not get too far in the weeds here. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. What if somebody out there listening says, okay, you're asking me to define success for myself. What if they still come back with something that's outside of them? Okay, that, that's, that's actually a great question because very often it happens because they haven't been taught anything else. Right. And so now we have to really kind of dive into, well, where do your values lie? What are the things that you value most in your life? What are the things, what are the driving components of your life, which again, it's gonna force you to have to go inside because you can't, you're, if you're, as you start peeling back, what you'll find is that it's rarely about the thing or put it in a different way. The thing is rarely the thing. Right. So if, if, if my idea of success is having, you know, nice cars and, and a house, there's nothing, by the way, nothing wrong with that. But what you find is that that's very much on the surface. What you haven't addressed is why is that important to you? And what you keep finding is as you peel back and you keep asking the whys and the whys and the whys, you start coming back to you want to feel certain things. You want to experience the world in a certain way. You want um, people to see you in certain ways. And that's important to you because that's part of a value system that you hold. Now, whether that value system right now is serving you or not, because it doesn't have to like you're not stuck to a value system but it's the one that you've, you're operating in. You're, you're operating on one whether you know it or not. Um, the question is, is, are you clear on it? Because once you become clear on it, then you can make a decision whether or not you wanna stick with it or try on a different one. And I say try on like you would try on a coat. You can test these out and say, hey, you know what? This doesn't fit so, so great. Let me take that off. Let me try on this next value system and see if it really is more in alignment with the kind of man that I want to be and the man that I want to show up in this world as, right? Yeah. So does that, I don't know if that answers your question or if it doesn't, what, what else do you need to, to gain more clarity on that question? Yeah. You know, the way many of us are conditioned to externalize our needs into strategies, right? Like you're saying, um, like there's, you know, I'm I'm 41 and all of a sudden I get this impulse to to buy a Porsche convertible, and the Porsche convertible is not the need. The Porsche convertible is 
is an expression of something deeper that maybe I'm not that connected to. Maybe I am, right? But um, what I think you laid it out beautifully so that people can really understand, oh, okay, so I really need to challenge myself because it's a desired state of being that I'm that I'm questing for, not some sort of um, acquisition, right? So that's awesome. I, thank, thank you for I, summarizing I, I, Actually, you know, that brings about this idea of the midlife crisis. And I don't know if you want to go down there, but mm. it, was, it was a question that somebody asked me the other day about, you know, do I believe in a midlife crisis? Like, do like, and so my answer was, well, I acknowledge that it happens. Now is the question, do, do you have to go through a midlife crisis? And what is a midlife crisis? And my response is essentially, yes, there are midlife crises. No, you don't have to go through it. And what a midlife crisis really is, is a lack of clarity. Yeah. There's a point in your life where you're like, is that all there is? <laughs> there has to be more to life. I, there, and so there's a kind of like a panic to try to figure out quick. And we get that serotonin, that, that, that the, 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 the serotonin hit when we're like, oh, you know what? I know if I got, you know, get that, get that, get that Porsche, I'm going to feel a certain way. So at the very least, I know I can trust this feeling to be there because, or, you know, get that dopamine fix as well when you, when you're, when you're getting, you buy something new, that next shiny object. Right. So right. I, 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 I think it's, it's a great, kind of connection because it, it is a conversation that people have and it's very often a lack of clarity in their vision in their purpose and or their process and really their self-understanding at the heart of it right right yeah so exactly. I, if you're willing i'd love to i'd love to broaden this we've done a beautiful job of i think uh naming what's at the heart of this really important concept i wondered if you could share a little about where you think like where do you think the world today can benefit the most from legacy awareness legacy consciousness like what could be the impact of of people working on this i i believe um that when you become clear on you know, actually, let's take a step back for a second. We, as humans, not just men, but as humans, we want the best for ourselves. We, we do. We generally want the best for ourselves. And so when you talk about something that is lasting, nobody purposely wants to create something bad, right? And you can argue and say, well, you know, how about murderers or psychopaths and but realize that to them that's a statement that that excites them the fact that you say oh they're a psychopath they're a murderer they were this prolific so it's still benefiting them though in society's eyes not great but for them in their mind that's a good thing yeah so we're always trying to create something that for us is gonna lift us up. It's gonna raise our status and and kind of entrench our our fingerprint in humanity in some way, shape, or form. And when you think about legacy, 
and you start looking at it, what that really means, one of the, the like a, a quick and simple phrase that I, that I like to share with people is the life that you live is the legacy that you live, that you leave, right? So the life that you live is the legacy that you leave. And it's very simple, but think about how many of us live each day intentionally. Life just gets kind of, it happens, right? People use that term, life happens. No, uh, experiences or you know, these, these instances happen, you live your life. Because one is you are an active pursuant, the other one you're a passive observer. Yeah. And so when you start having a shift in mindset where you become an active pursuant to creating something, something that has a lot of value, something that has clarity, and something that has impact, all of a sudden, I like to say you 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 know there's that there's that saying that says uh, that the rising tide raises all ships. If all of a sudden everyone in the community starts working to become and show up as the best version of themselves, they're addressing all these components because you can't be the best version of yourself if you're only addressing one thing. Let's just say making a lot of money, but you neglect your family, your health, your your impact, your contribution, your you know, your growth as a person, you, you're, you're not really showing up as that best possibility that you can offer to this world. And so what being purposeful about legacy does is it makes you that active pursuant in this quest. This isn't, it, it makes you someone who values the journey as opposed to just focuses on the destination. So I, I want to use this this quote, which I love: "Rising, the rising tide ra raises all ships." And to me, I'm I'm going to start this with a little bit of my perspective, and I, and feel free to to add to it or or edit it for yourself. Obviously, I, this is one thing. This is one concept that really is on my heart around supporting men and. Anyone who's listened to my show knows that I I have really been a champion for um, inclusion and empowerment of of under you know underpowered groups. At the same time, a lot of my work is with men because, like it or not, the world really needs men to do well. And there is a real powerful darkness to men who are. Because, because I think because men and it's it, I'm, again I'm just overgeneralizing, but quite often men have this really strong desire and drive that is more likely to come out sideways, i.e., in in committing violent crime um, at its worst. Right. And this even more reason to help support the rising tide of men, because hopefully the consciousness that can come from that can eventually serve the men who so desperately want to belong and be seen and leave a mark that they'll do something to be prolific, even if it's destructive. Do you think there's some right. truth in that? I, I agree. And again, this is where 
being very clear on definitions and terms makes makes a big difference. Um, at this point, you've probably heard the term being slung around, which is the toxic masculinity. The idea of that comes from not having a clarity between having a strong man versus an oppressive man, right? One is you can be strong and uplift others. The other one is you are strongest because you're holding everyone else down, mm. right? It's that, that analogy is, you know, how, how do you build the tallest building? You either knock down all the other ones to build, to leave yours up and now it's the tallest or you strive to challenge each other to grow. So you built uh, the highest building and you know what, tomorrow I'm going to come back and I'm going to try and outdo you and kind of grow, raise the tide of excellence in this case, right? So how do you focus it in a way that that now takes that energy, takes that that masculinity and rises it in a way that's that that is for the betterment of all society and not just, you know, you, like you said, th so it doesn't go sideways. It, it, yeah. it continues to move and, and raise up the, the standard of excellence. And I think that that's really that something that encompasses it. Something that I feel like it was one of the value systems. One of the things that my dad always, uh, really showed to me at least was this idea of strive for excellence not for perfection perfection is not you know it's it's a, it's a it's a fleeting cause you're never going to reach perfection but if you search for excellence and the the distinction would be you're growing in excellence you are growing um and you're doing the best that you can with what you have at that moment it's not a static thing. Excellence is not a static thing. It is, it is part of a journey. So a journey is not static. A journey is progressing to a certain area. And so we're not dealing with perfection. We're dealing with a journey that strives for excellence on a daily basis. I could ask this a few different ways and it could, it could easily, um, be really hard to clarify. So what I'd love to end up with is a really concrete um, step that people could take to serve the world of healthy masculinity in this way. And maybe that's easy enough to say. I'm also, and I'm curious about knowing, like, is there something that you are just like dying for the world to understand better about, about the world of men? I, that, that's a great question. I, I am, I believe that it is important to number one, understand that this is a world where we have to work together. And so by first and foremost, by saying that we are trying to, to, to raise the level of men, it's not at the expense of women or others, right? This is its own category, meaning, hey, 
we can get better without pushing. Again, it's this idea of strength by raising up or versus oppression by pushing down. So we're not talking about, I, I think it's, it's very important for people when they listen to this is the conversation isn't about how do men get ahead to beat somebody else, to beat women, right? Because it's usually that dichotomy, mm-hmm. men versus women, or you know, uh, why is society versus men or men versus society? No, this is, men are a part of society that it benefits society. They are part of the tide that when men show up better, stronger, clearer, more confident, uh, more purposeful, more intentional in their day-to-day, it serves everyone. The same thing happens when women do the same thing. We are just specifically talking about men right now. Of course. But it doesn't negate that women wouldn't benefit from the same thing or that we're trying to keep this a secret from women so that we can get a leg up. Mm-hmm. And again, this is such, to, to me, nowadays, everything is so volatile because everyone wants, everyone, instead of, actually, I'm going to take a step back. This is something that another kind of thing that my father taught me. He says, we always have an opportunity to see the world in two ways. You can look for all the things that are wrong with it and then just basically place the blame. Or you can extract the thing that's gonna serve you the most so you can grow. Maybe that's in a bad situation, maybe in an imperfect society, but there's always something that you can learn, something you can extract. Something that you can you can use, you can leverage to enhance you, enhance your family, enhance your community, because you were open to it. You were you you were you were looking for it. We have a part in our brain called the reticular activating system. It's the same thing that when you buy a car, that you're like, oh wow, this is a cool car. Now you're driving it, and it seems like everybody got the same deal and went to the same sale because there's that car everywhere. You're like, I never noticed how many cars of these same cars were on the road. Hmm. So what happened? Well, your reticular activating system or your brain in general is a pattern seeking machine. So all of a sudden you have a brand new thing that your car is whatever, a Nissan Sentra or a Porsche, whatever your car is. And now your brain becomes very much hyper aware of that same pattern all around you. So the same thing happens when you approach any situation. If you set the intention to figure out what's wrong with it, that's what your brain, that's the pattern your brain is gonna go for and you end up basically in a hole. You search for holes and you end up in a lot of ditches. On the flip side, if what you're searching for is the pattern that you program and the intention that you set is, you know what? How can I learn from this situation? What's the most amount of value I can extract by this situation, from this speaker, from, from whatever the case that's right in front of you? All of a sudden, you're looking up. You're looking for building blocks. And what, you know, the, the, the differential is one, you end up in a ditch. The other one is you start building, a build, you start building this, this staircase 
that not only do you start getting higher, but now your perspective starts changing because you have a different vantage point on which to view the world. So not only are you progressing, but your clarity also gets more because now you can see a little bit further, right? What was it? Uh, I think it was Newton that said, if I've, if I've seen so far, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants, hmm. right? Was it Newton or was it Einstein or one of them? Regardless. I'm not, I'm not the point sure is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does that, I mean, is that helpful? You think this yeah. idea of how to, I think it's a really position. I think, I think it's awesome. And it's a really, it's a, it's a big ask. I know. Is there a concrete, like a more simplified concrete way that you, but maybe even like using your, your pattern orienting, like what have you already seen in the world where you're like, Oh, that was really cool. I'm so glad somebody s saw this about, um, a man or, took this orientation towards this point of view on men. Got it. Um, men are powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, there's a, you know, the superhero line, I think, what is it? A, the Spider-Man one, which is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And you, again, going back to, this this concept of with that strength with that power you have a choice on how to yield it you can lift up or you can push down and so i would i would share with men right now that the only way you are going to get to know that strength that power is by going inside because only then can you truly see what you're capable of? Only then can you see the clarity on, let's just say, the weapons or, you know, for lack of a better way to use it, that you're going to wield. The one that you need to master. The one that you need to grow and cultivate. Or if you want to look at it in a less violent form. But, you know, again, there's something, you know, people talk about violence. There's a certain physicality that is part of masculinity and it's not a bad thing it's a thing this is what like there is a primal physicality in men and you suppress that and you get a a lesser version of a man i'm not saying that men have to go around fighting or that they have to be violent but if you if you ignore the fact that there is physicality and you try to suppress it, you are essentially dampening a light that, that is actually useful for other arenas, which is why you see, I mean, I have plenty of friends who are, have just boys and I have friends who have just girls. You don't have to do anything. Leave a room with just boys and leave a room with just girls, and the level of intensity is night and day. Boys will escalate things and by very nature start getting physical. Are there less physical men? Yes. 
But I'm talking as a generalization. If you put a room of boys together, it will get physical, not in a violent way, but in a in a in a camaraderie way. That's how that's one of the ways men communicate. And for women, it is not the same. It is not the same. It's funny. My wife tells me all the time. She goes, why are guys so stupid? (laughs) How does this make any sense? Because guys come up with stupid things, but it's part of the way we communicate. You know, these challenges that are physical, you see, like you never see videos of women lying down, holding a cue ball or sorry, a a golf ball in their mouth and their friend is going to swing the golf (laughs) and try to hit it off their mouth. You know, you, you don't see women, you know, trying to move a couch from the second story and men uh, and women trying to catch it on the, on the first floor. Like you don't see things like that for a reason. Are they smart? No, but I'm saying it's an expression of the physicality. Not of the genius, but of the physicality, and I'm making them more humorous so that people get the point. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate I, it. I, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you you really uh, walking through that because I think you're you're being really mindful um, about the interpretation of language, and I I hope that listeners um, hear that the way you intended and and take something positive from it. Um, can you help people who want to look you up, understand how to connect with your work and especially your book, the legacy code? Sure. Um, if you, if you want to check out the, the book, it's called the legacy code. Um, you can go to legacycodebook.com or you can go to like the hub for everything, which is just Armando which is just my name. And there you'll probably find all the social media stuff. I'm on Facebook. Usually I'm on Facebook. Someone licked in, but in general, I'll be on Facebook. Uh, those are the ones that I primarily communicate. And then I have some Instagram stuff that it's just more about my adventures and some of the wild things that I like to do. Part of the <laughs> the physicality stuff that we talk about. Yeah, that's so important. It's <laughs> it's an opportunity to channel it mindfully, right? And, and right. consciously. Well, Armando Cruz from Miami, Florida, thank you so much for being here and for all the work you're doing in the world. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it's been, it's been a treat. To find out more about Armando's work, go to LegacyCodeBook.com or ArmandoCruz.com. The question of the day is this. If you were to die today, how would the world know you'd been here? Would you be leaving behind more in the way of pain or of hope? This has been the Super Givers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. If you'd like to hear more or do me the service of writing a review, please find this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can learn more about me and my work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.